Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Previously on The Mike Wise Show. Tim Floyd, <laughs> Bill Carwright, mm-hmm. Bill Berry, Pete Myers, Scott Skiles. Uh, where did I go after that? New York. So then there was uh, Lenny Wilkins, Herb Williams, Isaiah Thomas, Larry Brown, Mike D'Antoni. Then when I go after that, Golden State. So then it was uh, Don Nelson. And after that, it was Larry Drew, Mike Woodson. After that, it was Caleb Canales, Nate McMillan. <laughs> after that, it was uh, Benny Del Negro. It was Doc Rivers. And then it was uh, Tom Thibodeau. And it is Igor, Coach Igor. Oh, man. That's impressive. That was Jamal Crawford naming all 19 of his NBA coaches in order on the very first Mike Wise show back in January of 2019. This week, he returns with a positive message during these troubled times, plus an emotional story about the late Kobe Bryant, and he's coming right up. But first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? All right, Darlene. uh, Really pleased to welcome back my first guest ever on this show, uh, Pure Hoops Media's own Jamal Crawford, who's never gotten paid at all. Have you, have you, Jamal? Uh, but well, I, got, nonetheless- I, got, I got paid with love, so I'm okay. I got paid with, <laughs> <laughs> with, with, uh, with, with hoop love, so I'm good with that. Yeah. So right off the bat, I, I just got to say, and, and I saw somebody write this. Uh, you've got 1.4 million Twitter followers, and somebody really, I thought, hit, hit this on the head today. It's in your Twitter profile, and it says, uh, I love basketball, but basketball doesn't define me. I guess you could say that that this uh, the coronavirus outbreak, especially in Washington, where where many of the first deaths occurred in the Seattle area, is just it's really tested everybody in there. And I feel like you've risen to the occasion with a lot of your charitable outreach. Um, what's it even? What's it like right now over there? Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh... It's amazing to kind of watch, right? Because we were one of the first states, I think, that really got hit hard with it. So just watching how things were slowly kind of closing down and, you know, some streets became like ghost town and it was just weird, right? And then the gyms got closed and, and, you know, start going outside the parks just to get some fresh air and kind of shoot. And then that got closed. So it's just, it's amazing to watch. And it's, it's, it's sad, obviously, because it's nothing you can, really do to stop it besides staying mm. home, you know, the social distancing. And, and I know it's tough for everybody because so many things I'm sure we all took for granted, you know, even meeting a person and shaking their hand, right. Or something as small as that oh. kind of take it for granted because now you kind of have to stay away and stay at home as much as possible. And with that, you know, you kind of, kind of start looking at what's important and, and things you may have missed out on and, and things you may not have quite paid as much attention to now you're doing that even taking small walks things i really didn't do much of before you kind of really focus in on that to kind of get through these times it's kind of social distance kind of help save lives the um there was a, as many as 251 deaths in washington um and this is this is just some of the most recent uh stats it, you had a there's a court named after you in renton washington which i'm i'm proud to say i've been to is that closed down as well right now yeah, everything's closed down right now. Mm. Yeah, that was that's where we were going when the gyms got closed. We were going there every day, and they finally closed that as well. And, you know, JJ and myself, and get work in, and then that got closed down. So yeah, now we just been at home getting stuff done. Yeah, um, I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't say 
you know, you donating 100,000 meals to local food banks amid the outbreak is just incredible. And I think the funny thing is, is uh, Seattle's Food Lifeline um, that you that you donated these things to. It's it's this organization that organization that aims to feed hungry people um, by, by giving to over 300 food banks in 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 Western Washington. I was just thinking about how many people saw you do that and donated after you donated themselves. I, you know, to me that was a it it said a lot about you, but also about your community. Well, to give you a little bit of a backstory about that, so I didn't. Um, I didn't know which way I wanted to go as mm-hmm. far as helping. And you know me, Mike, and doing your research with the, with the article years ago, most mm-hmm. things I do charitable-wise, I don't talk about at all. No, you but never, ta- you never think, publicize. L- let's say 95% of them I'd never talk about. So, but this one I thought it was important just from the standpoint is, you know, in these times it's unprecedented. And so what I did was, besides the meals, I actually uh, got with the Boys and Girls Club and took care of child care there because, you know, some parents still have to go to work and there's nobody to look after the kids who usually are in school. So I got with the child care at the Boys and Girls Club and provided that and then provided meals. I got with World Vision and I got, I think, uh, 250 emergency kits that are filled with uh, that's a meal for every day, or it's meals for every day, I should say. And then you have uh, the essential toilet paper uh, you know, paper towels, deodorant, hand sanitizer, soap, uh, all those different things. I did that for 250 families. Uh, That's then I great. To, then I donated to a school, well, a couple of different schools, actually, just for the teachers who aren't getting paid in this in this time period. So I donated to that. And then um, some local churches as well, uh, you know, and then just tried to, and I'm only saying this stuff because, you know, I want people, if they're out there, and they, if they can donate a dollar or anything they can spare at this time, I know it's tough time to help somebody else, go for it. Nothing's too small. Like, everybody can help each other. And any times where we have to lean on each other. And then I was like, okay, well, how can I maximize doing this? And what I did was I challenged some of my friends, you know, who had no problem at all. Uh, Zach Levine, Cliff Averill, and Dee Gordon, yep. they all had, had stuff in mind as well that they wanted to do. And I was like, hey, let's all get together. And let's all, you know, whatever one's more important to you, there's no right or wrong answer. You know, so we all got together and uh, just kind of helped in this pandemic with what was important. And we all picked different areas to kind of help out. So everything kind of gets touched on and gets uh, some some help, you know, and hopefully get the word out there enough that other people would like to do the same. So, yeah, it was just, I, like mm-hmm. I said, I usually don't talk about any of that. It was a little uncomfortable because it almost feels like, hey, I'm doing this and kind of showing off. And that's so far from the truth. For me, it's just about like, hey, I did it. You can do it too. If you do it, you're helping somebody else. You're helping these kids. And I think that's most important, helping these families. The, the NBA has been so proactive during this crisis. And, um, I, you know, you've been there for 19 years. And But but I look at just young players. Even, I mean, everybody made Rudy Gobert out to be the biggest knucklehead for touching the mics and everything. And here's this guy who's basically – you know, eviscerated all over social media for, and, and, and I, I look at that, it's almost a blessing in disguise. He tests positive and, and all of a sudden the league shuts down and let many fewer people are infected and it causes a domino effect to make everybody realize how serious it is. But even like him, he, he, he ended up like donating $500,000. Doesn't matter if you're young, old, I just felt like we always say how woke the NBA is and it's a cliche, but I, I just felt like the NBA really got it when it came to something that was so life altering that it knew its place just to step aside and help any way it could beyond basketball. Absolutely. And I've always said and always felt like uh, the NBA was kind of at the forefront with, with different decisions and different moves that uh, they've always made, you know, and, it's a credit to the leadership, credit to the people involved with the business. Um, obviously, you know, having Adam Silver to be the leader of that and having a good NBPA with Michelle Roberts and, and having everybody on one accord, uh, they've always kind of set the trend and, and set the, the bar, and I didn't expect anything less here. And they obviously, you know, think about it, after the NBA kind of shut down and the NCAA shut down, then you start seeing things get pushed back, and, you know, they, they were the, the – the people kind of holding the flag and kind of leading in that regard. And I'm proud to be a part of that. 
And no, it's it's been tremendous on so many levels. Uh, I everybody has their own selfish um, agendas when they hear something is canceled. And for me, it was as small as you know, my my nine year old is qualified for some junior Olympics swimming competition, and it's it's off. Um, I look at your own situation, person who's been there 19 years waiting for that shot. And I thought the playoffs would have been great. And right, right before the regular season ended, you know, Jamal Crawford would have been a perfect signing. Um, obviously some disappointment. I don't see, this is just me. I, I hope for the best. I don't know if, I don't know if this league gets going again until next season. Your, your thoughts. Yeah. I, I don't know how, you know, and, and it's just, it's tough. I'm not sure you have an answer until you uh, can kind of, you know, see where this is going and see how we kind of flatten the curve. And then from there, you know, is it flat enough that you can have people around in the building, you know, again? And it's just tough to do. Um, but I'm sure, you know, every team will be crossed and every eye will be dotted by the time they figure out how to get back to basketball. Obviously, it's something we miss, but, you know, that's on the back burner for now until we can figure out how to control this thing and save lives and then go from there. I mean, it's such a small consideration in the whole scope of things. Like when I asked Mark Cuban a couple of weeks ago, how are you guys doing? He's like, well, I got first world problems, you know, real people got, but, but I still think because I'm, I'm selfish and I've followed your career. You know, I, I wonder when this pandemic is over and the NBA gets back to business, do, do you want to give it one last shot before you officially retire? Yeah, I just want to play, period, you know, but I understand yeah. that, that uh, that you know, situations kind of happen and things happen, and, you know, it's 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 something you want to do, but I feel like I'm in a win-win. You know, if, if the NBA chapter is over with and you spend more time with your family, then you kind of lost in some regard, especially this last year because that was the first year we were separate, and you start the next chapter, or you, you know, continue on with your dream and continue going at it, so. I feel like it's a win-win. I'm blessed to be in that position. Had a long career, either way. So you just kind of take it without comps and go from there. Yeah, I, uh, at one point I was joking with uh, Jamal on Twitter, or excuse me, over text, saying I needed to take out a one ad for him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> like we just thought it was at some point somebody's got to reach out. And uh, do you know how many players have had a game like your last game? The only person I could think of was Kobe Bryant. 60 points yeah, in his, in his, like th- tell people, I mean, the last game you had with the Suns in 2019, it was phenomenal. Yeah. It, it, that was, I've never seen a player score that much in lead besides Kobe and he, his was kind of playing, right? Like we all knew he was retiring at sure. the, end of the season. And then, uh, you know, other times it's usually a, a low scoring affair where they'd be, single digits or maybe somebody else gets somewhere like 20 or whatever, you know, but at the time I didn't know that this potentially could be my last game. I mean, I still feel like something will give at some point, but obviously I've missed the whole season so far. But for me, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was historic in a lot of different ways being a part of Dirk's last yeah, it was game. Dirk. The whole city was, yeah. It crazy. It was, like it, was Dirk's, it was Dirk's final game. And it was Dirk's final game. And obviously Dallas is there for the, you know, the send off of the century, which was all warranted. And yet in that game, you get 51, <laughs> you get 51 at, at the, at the ripe old age of what was it? 36. Yeah, absolutely. And the city was electric, like right from the morning. Shooting yeah. around, you could feel it. Everybody was had their managers on just walking around the city. You know, so it was a totally different. It was like a movie even before the 50 point. Like, it just felt like a movie. Like, this is incredible to even say you were at his last game. You know, anybody that does their history on the great players, you know, that came before them and seeing somebody like Dirk in his career, it was just amazing to be a part of it. And then, uh, you know, to be able to play well. And unfortunately, we didn't win. I guess that was the only negative. But to be honest with you, it was so much bigger than that. No, not even the 50 points. It's like it's Dirk's last home game. So to be able to play oh, well in that. It, is, yeah. It, to Dirk's it last history, home game. Right? Yeah. Right. And you, get, you become the oldest. You became the oldest player to score 50 and the first player ever yeah. to score 50 with four different franchises. And, you and know, the it most surpassed ever off the Mike. Bench. Oh, and the most ever off the bench. So, yeah, so I mean, well. uh, yeah. 
this is one thing that Jamal is. He will never brag about his charity, but he will have more numbers on himself than the writers themselves. I don't know where he gets them from. I don't know if he's just an updated statistician. And he's not telling that to brag. He's just giving you facts for your story. I looked at these numbers. I'm not going to I'm not going to play. And it's not because I like you and I know you and I've got, okay, that's part of the reason why. But beyond that, you, you, I believe, I feel like three times six man of the year. Um, and the, the only thing that it's almost like Nolan Ryan, he could never get on a great team uh, to win a world series. I, th- I just think you're hall of fame material. And I, and I know people say, Oh, Jamal Crawford, he did that. Like, no, I, I, I think you're hall of fame material. I know you feel the same way. How did, after all this dies down, how do we get people and you end up retiring at some point? How do we get people to actually understand that that makes sense? I think the only way to be honest with you is to talk to your peers. You know, I'm not mm. going to campaign for it or, you know, talk to anybody really about it. But I think that your peers, because your peers are the ones who lace up against you, right? They know who's a really good player, who's, you know, a pretty good player, whatever. You know, and, and that respect that comes from the peers. I think uh, kind of supersedes everything, you know, and if it happens, if it doesn't happen, one thing I do know is in my favorite players ever uh, all kind of like my game in some way or another. And, and to me, that's like the ultimate step. To prove. When, when someone recently put out a, a list of, uh, or they, they asked on Twitter, which this whole coronavirus thing has turned into a boon for coming up with lists and things. Cause you, I've seen all these yeah, cool yeah, players. Sure cool players on your Twitter feed. And I'm like, wait, what list is this? What, who are these guys a part of? And one that I thought was great was I said, uh, they asked them, you know, if you had to play, if you had to pick five players to take the court um, that you love, that you love your favorite players, not the best players, but the, your favorite players. Your favorite, right. And I, and I, you know, I, I selfishly took you as one of mine. Right. Um, who, who were your, fi- who were your five? I can't remember all of them. I want to say, Allen Iverson was one. Yeah, he's one of them for sure. Uh, my favorite three, to be honest with you, is uh, Michael, Magic, Isaiah. Right, and then from there, it's like I- I'm gonna give you six because you can always have a six man. Yes. Uh, these Iverson, Kobe, Gary Payton, those six. Ah, oh the glove. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. he's, st- he's stealing. Oh, okay. I- oh, that's a nice. That's a nice team. That's a very nice yeah. team. So those are my, those are just my favorites. And the way I judge my personal favorites was the one, two of my favorites growing up. Like none of my favorite players ever are younger than me. I'm just going off my childhood. Yes. You know I mean? So like as an adolescent from you know six, seven, eight, nine years old up into high school. Because at one point when I was younger, obviously it was the Jordan, Magic, and Isaiah. And as they kind of retired and slowed down, Jordan was always my number one. I just feel like nobody can ever catch that but that was just my personal opinion but then I, I came into the era of you know uh the grant hills the pennies the t-max the kobe's the iverson you know and payton's when i was in high school and then mm. that's how i kind of went from there he, he's the uh pride of seattle washington and uh led rainer beach high school to a 1998 state championship i was happy to meet dave his center the last time i was out there I, I I like think of how big you are in that community. The um, I, I know people talk about the the game coming back to Seattle at some point. Is that even in the cards, or is this something that's just a, a pipe dream now? It may be somewhere in the middle. Who knows? You know, what I mean, I think if there were expansion or if a team was to move, I would think at least Seattle would be high up on the list, just looking at the other sports from the Storm to the Seahawks to the Sounders, you know, to the University of Washington, all their, their athletic sports, and just seeing uh, the reception, you know, from people here and how the city really gets into it. And I think we've shown, you know, that we're more than deserving. Uh, and I think we'll, we, we'll play a good host. I think we'll be a great city. I think players who have absolutely uh, would love to come back here and some people have never been here, like Blake Griffin, I tell this story before he had never been to Seattle. He comes to my program and he loves it. You know, he's like, Oh my goodness. Like this place is incredible. Another yes. story is uh, Bobby Wagner and Cliff Averill, who I was sitting next to uh, when the Warriors came up here last year and played the preseason game at the Kings. They're all there. And they're like, is this what basketball is like in the city? When, and they couldn't believe it. Cause think about it, these guys are Super Bowl champions. 
and had never seen the Sonics here. So they had never seen an NBA game here before. And they were just blown away by the reception and the energy in the crowd. So I think we've shown we're more than deserving. You know, maybe it was just wishful thinking on our part, but we won't let go of that until hopefully it comes back. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I could see that happening at one point. Uh, there's no question about it. You were um, you were boyhood friends with Nate Burleson too, the, the NFL analyst, yeah. right? Uh-huh. You guys used to you, you guys used to go at it. I mean, he was he was big time yeah. player. Absolutely, I was really tight with his brother, and his family is like sports royalty here, right? So his brother, sure, uh, his brother Kevin played in the NBA. His older brother Al uh, was a big time D1 football prospect. His dad. Obviously, was big time in football. Then his youngest brother, Lindell, was at the time, everybody thought he would be the best one out of all the brothers. You know, So they come from royalty. And I was always at his house, and I just saw part of his interview. I got to listen to the podcast, actually. But he told a story, and it was true. I hadn't thought about it since I was a kid. But he said his brother would go outside to the park and would go through because they had a park right across the street. Right. And he would go to the park and maybe, you know, meet up with a, a girl just to say hi, you know, a teenage-type thing. But I would always be in the house even when they were gone. Like, no, I'm going to watch Come Fly Me one more time. I'm going to watch Michael Jordan tape one more time. And I would watch it three <laughs> times in a row, like back to back. And then I would go practice across the street and practice the moves and come back and watch it. And it was funny because I haven't watched, uh, you know, some of those tapes since then. But I, I watched uh, Michael Jordan one from, uh, you know, 20 years ago the other day on YouTube. And I remember when the tape started stuttering. I remember, like, I started finishing the sentences that people were saying in the and the thing, I'm like, wow, like I really did watch this this many times to be able to memorize this you know, 25 years later. Yeah. Uh, Jamal Crawford, 19 years in the league, a few more with him. I just also part of your profile is a great picture of you and Kobe uh, hugging. The, it's amazing. Like I think about when that happened and it feels like years ago with everything that's happened since. Uh, but but nonetheless, you wrote some of the most profound things about him. And is it even though I covered, even though that was sort of my prime, I guess, as an NBA writer and with the New York Times and then later the Washington Post, like I, I thought to myself, like, I did not expect the outpouring of emotion for him. And it's not because I didn't think he deserved it as a player, but I didn't realize how many people he affected as a person. And in that vein, I think there was you guys had a lot in common where he also didn't publicize his charitable events. You know, so many kids and their moms came out of the woodwork and said, oh, when I was sick, make a wish child. Kobe Bryant showed up in my hospital yeah. room and, it, it yeah. you know, I'm not saying he encouraged me back to health, but what he did for me made me, you know, made me turn around my life and with a way of thinking. It's just like so many of those stories. And and it, it, I thought to myself, this now I get it. Now I get it. And you you probably got it all along about Kobe. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I didn't get it when I first came to the league because it wasn't that type of relationship. It's more just competing. But over the years, you know, once you went against somebody long enough and there's a certain respect there, you know, you start uh, becoming more friendly or you start, uh, you know, the relationship starts growing away from the court. Um, you know, and, and so it just broke my heart, to be honest with you, and I wasn't really ready to talk about it soon after. I'm like it, I was, to give you a little backstory about it, um, my son plays on a traveling team, and a friend of mine's son plays on the team as well. But the friend of mine's son, he also has a daughter, so he we have practice on Thursday, right? And then we had a tournament coming up that weekend. So I practice on Thursday. He was like, "Hey, I'm going to see Kobe. I'm going to the Mamba Academy this weekend." I'm like, "Oh, oh okay, cool." This He's is JJ. Like, um, yeah, this is JJ's teammate's father. Okay. So he, but he also has a daughter who plays basketball, and she was going to the Mamba Academy that weekend. So oh. that Thursday at practice, with JJ and his, his son's practice, like, hey, I'm going to see Kobe this weekend. I'm going to tell him I know you. I said, that's my guy. You know, tell him. Fast forward, he goes down there with his daughter that weekend, and all this happened. Sunday, we had a tournament. So I'm in the gym with JJ's team, his son's team, and his wife runs up and gives me the phone. Yeah. And I'm like, she's like, here, you need to take this call. And so I'm like, oh, okay. You know, my first thought is, Oh, he bumped into Kobe. He has Kobe, you know, right by him. He's going to give him the phone. <laughs> so it went from that thought to what he told me because he told me oh. it happened before it hit the news because he was at the academy. Right. And so when he told me it happened, like, I, I, I my heart dropped and, and uh, you know, I start crying like there. I'm not even an emotional person like that, but I just, mm. it didn't even feel real. But I had to walk back in the gym, 
uh, you know, give his wife back the phone, and I'm bawling. Like, even J.J.'s on the bench, hmm. and his friends are on the bench and looking at me crying, like, what's going on? By the time the game was over, they got the word because their assistant, their coaches, you know, they had mentioned it yeah. to him. Then it became public, I guess, 20, 30 minutes later. But, uh, yeah, it was just something I, I you know, I'll, I'll never get over that, to be honest with you, and knowing, uh. you know, his daughter and the other kids were on there and other families were on there, and it was just, yeah, it's just something that kind of made me change the outlook of life in a way. And it's just knowing him, getting to know him better over the years and to the point where, like, he came to my pro-am, and I asked him last minute, he could have easily been like, no, I have to go. We already have plans. He's like, no, I'm going to come watch you play. People, A couple of people that went like, no, we got to go. He's like, no, I'm going to watch Jamal play. He brought his family with him, his daughters, his, his wife, stayed and watched me play, and then he left afterwards. And it was just like little things like that that people never got the chance to see. Well, some did, obviously, and the stories are coming out. But yeah. I knew that part about him, yeah, ever since, you know, um, that day, really, and, and since that time, so years ago. When I uh, did the story on you uh, about four years ago for the ESPN's The Undefeated, I remember um, you, you had a little Aaron, your your youngest daughter, in your arms. I'm thinking, man, this guy's a dad and a yeah. half. JJ is, is he, a, J, you have JJ and then London's your other daughter. Is JJ, is he 11 now? 12? No, he's nine. He's, he's nine. nine. He's, so he's only still yeah, nine. He was, yeah, he's still nine. He was five at the time, actually. He's five yeah, at the no, time. So, yeah, so JJ, so that's right. He's the same age as Oliver. Oh, that's right. Cause I showed him, I showed Oliver some of his highlights and he's really jealous and he goes to the basement and I said, no, I, <laughs> Oliver, you, you don't have the same genes. You don't, you don't understand. <laughs> you know, you, you got junior college in your future. Not the I don't D1. know. You showed some game. You showed some game. Uh, you know, when we mean you went and played before you, you had to come up short a little bit. You That's right. You Blew out my hand. So, so, but I was thinking to myself, that was the first time that I, that I remember talking to my son about death, like really where, where we had a long conversation because he wanted, I had told him about Kobe, even though he never met him, but he, and he just goes, well, what happened? Daddy, he, 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 died, he, only, he was only out of the league. He only got four years of retirement with his kids. And I was like, oh man, I just lost it. Right. What, what do you tell? What did you tell JJ at the time? How do you how do you even communicate that? I'm I'm kind of trying to deal with this coronavirus stuff and have conversations with my children as well. And I think it's hard for people to talk to kids about this stuff or at least say the right yeah. things. Yeah, it was tough. It was a tough conversation, and it was, you know, he was he had questions, and but they weren't like overbearing questions. He would pick them at the right time. He was like, Dad, so like what happened like what you know just stuff like that and kind of like he just had questions I guess and I try to answer them as honest as possible but to a way where he can kind of understand it and just talking about God and just different different conversations you know and just stuff like that so yeah it, it was it's it, it's amazing because how kids are so resilient and so you know just they just get it you know because then a few days later I walk in I look at JJ's iPad and he has um <laughs> he has Kobe and Gigi on his iPad as like the backdrop, right? Oh man! And my, yeah, and then London, her teacher told me that she had a rough day at school that day, the following I think Monday or Tuesday, and I was like, "Why? What happened?" And she was like, "Well, because she said your friend died." You're talking about Kobe, right? So it's just mm. amazing how kids are kind of in tune with that. Yeah, they they felt that from you. Uh, um, I'm gonna let you go out on this one on a, on a happier note. Um, do, do you ever remember somebody we we and people won't hear this till Monday the following Monday but we're we're taping this on April Fool's Day have you ever been the subject of a prank or pulled one yourself that was just mind like you you're still proud of today oh man no I gotta I gotta lead you guys to what Zach Levine did to me about four years ago <laughs> I love it I was playing with the Clippers and yeah. he he uh told me he was doing something for kids and I'm like okay you know it was in LA I knew Zach had LA ties being at UCLA he's like I'm doing something you know a promo for them if you could just show up and speak you know and, and I'm like oh cool no problem so he never was very clear about what I had to do so just to set it up you can go on Jimmy Kimmel and I'll send this to you it's okay. a nine minute clip and, and Jimmy Kimmel says one of the best pranks ever Zach pranked me into thinking it was something about hoverboards and it was the, the biggest prank ever and I was getting upset because they were testing my patience with the kids 
after like an hour and a half. And I thought it was, I never thought it wasn't real because Zach's mom was there. His sister was there. I'm like, oh, they said Zach's running a little late. Do you want to get started and do your part or do you want to wait for him? I was like, oh, you know, it's me and JJ. I'm like, I'll get started and knock it out. You know, so everything was so real, but it was one of the best pranks, and he got me, and I'm still going to get him back. What did you do? Like, you were on a hoverboard? What would happen? Oh, no, no, Mike, I, I, I would do it a disservice to try to describe it. I'm going okay. to tell you, literally, oh, okay. I you gotta have to watch this. it. You will be in tears laughing, for sure. All right, so so mine is this. You, you know Barbara Barker from uh, Newsday? Yeah. Uh, good yeah. people. Like when when he she Frank Isola and uh, that group we all covered the Knicks back in the day. Well, you're still in high school. Um, I think it was '97. We're in Cleveland, and you know at that point, like the time, the New York Times is my first real job. I'm I'm feeling like wow, I, I got paid off my student loans. I, you know, I'm meeting some nice women out here. This is great, you know. And uh, this this Cavaliers cheerleader comes up to me. After the routine, like, you know, you courtside and she in between the timeout during a Knicks Cavs game and she, on April on April 1st. And she goes, she goes, Are you Mike Wise in the New York Times? I go, yeah. And she goes, I read everything you write. And I just want to tell you, I just so glad to meet you. I'm like, what? And I'm looking around like who who set this person up? And yeah, Frank was convincing. Up, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, who set me up? No, no. But back then, you couldn't go on somebody's Instagram page. You know, it's just like the no, beginning of no the internet. Yeah, yeah so exactly. you're thinking she's really te- like, is she really telling that she bu- she buys in here? Okay, all right. And so Frank's like, you got to talk to her after the game. So I walk up to her after the game. I'm like, hey, you want you want to meet up after? Oh, completely shuns me. I mean, like, I don't even think she said anything. She just walked away. And I'm like, what? And then so I walk into the locker room, and literally all you know how it is. All the writers were around Patrick Ewing, waiting for him to talk. And I get in the circle of the riders, and Patrick looks up and he goes, "April Fools!" <laughs> oh, oh man, wow. they oh, it was cold. <laughs> that is funny, and I could oh. see, I could see, I saw it being somewhere behind that for sure. Yeah, see what he and Barbara and Lori Hamamoto, who was at the time was the the Knicks PR director. She was, it was just, oh, it was humiliating. Put me back and realized that you know what, you're just a writer. You're not a player. You can't do this. <laughs> Um, hey man, uh, best to you and Tori and the children. Uh, I always say this and I mean it, uh, you, you, as great a player as you are is one of the most entertaining, most effective scores in the history of the game. You, you're always a better person. And, um, I mean that sincerely and, and I hope to see you in person one day. I don't even know if pulling bro hugs are going to be a thing in the NBA anymore, but I'm still hopefully going to get a chance to hug you at one point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And I always appreciate you support me because you absolutely do not have to. Like you said, you were doing this when I was in high school. So hearing you say some of the things you say means everything. Uh, all right. That's Jamal Crossover. Jay, at Jay Crossover on Twitter. 1.4 million followers. Full stop. Barbara Barker of Newsday doesn't have 1.4 million followers on Twitter, although she should. What she does have are the gory details of the April Fool's story we just alluded to. Since wallowing in misery and self-loathing are two of my favorite hobbies, I'll do the play-by-play and Barbie can do the color as we break down one of the most humiliating evenings of my entire life. Welcome, Barbie. Hey, Mikey. It's great to talk to you. So so Barbara Barker is, uh, used to cover the Knicks at Newsday, and she also was the NBA writer for a long time. She, how long have you been writing a column at Newsday for? Uh, I mean, whether it be an NBA column or what I'm writing about now, I don't know, 10 years, something like that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, so, she, so she's a voice in New York sports and, and nationally for that <laughs> matter. She's taken on many, many hats over the years. I know her family. I know her. Uh, Barbara also, and I should say that we, this is taped last week on April Fool's Day, but I think you're going to like this story, especially with everything going on in the world now, because it shows you that even among your closest friends at work, you can still be humiliated with one of the incredible <laughs> gut punches in the history. I don't think anybody has had this happen to them. I had an April Fool's joke played on me in 1997. And Barb, take it from there. We're both covering the game with a bunch of other writers um, in Cleveland. First, and it's the Knicks. And I'm at the New York Times. And you're at Newsday. Frank Isola is at the New York Daily News. But go ahead, Barbara. Okay. So first of all, this is my second year on the beat with Mike. Then, you know, it's getting close to the end of the year. And so I had known Mike for for quite a while. And beat writers 
are kind of like your coworkers, except you travel with them, you're always with them. And really by the end of April, you're kind of getting annoyed with each other, even though you're kind of, you know, friends too. Is that a fair way to say it, Mike? That's right. Okay, all right. So even, but then you're kind of like cranky and annoyed with each other. And and also you're sometimes kind of bored. So you're looking for, you know, something to do. And, and so, so, so Mike, and I was just joking uh, with, with, uh, you know, his producer there that, um, so, so Mike just had some crying kids in the background when we first got on the phone and Mike is a great dad. He has three kids. He's a great dad. He is a family man extraordinaire, but the Mike wise, I knew back then in the nineties, this was not that guy. All right. So. Every time you would pull into arena, Mike would start talking to Frank about some girl or this or that. And I was, Lori Hamamoto, who was the next PR, PR person at the time. Yep, Lori Hamamoto was, was also a longtime LA Clippers PR person. Right. Nick's, she worked with uh, uh, Patrick Ewing at Georgetown recently and now is in Dallas. But yeah, everybody, Lori Hamamoto, anybody in the NBA family knows who Lori is. Yeah, so she's, yeah, she's been around, she's great. Anyway, she's been around a long time. So Lori and I were the only two women, and we were just sort of like roll our eyes. Oh, there's Mike and Frank going again with, with Frank, who was married, just kind of cheering Mike on so he could live vicariously through Mike, right? So, <laughs> Which was pretty hard to do, let's be honest. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, kind of got, you know, really kind of got like, uh, you know, whatever. So it was April Fool's. And I just started talking with Lori. And I don't know, Mike must have just recently done something annoying at like the shoot around or something like that. <laughs> and we just we're just trying to come up with it. And I think I came up with it, but I'm not sure. It would not have worked without the both of us because Lori was the, Patrick would do anything Lori said. All right. So we had Lori organizing that. And I think right, I'm the one so, to talk. Yeah, to yeah. Here. I should before I, we before we get to what actually happened. Yeah, okay. I should actually say this was this was an elaborate April Fool's joke. It was convincing with that gut punch, humiliating ending I talked about. It included as many as a dozen people, but was ultimately <laughs> the brainchild of one sports writer, Bar Barker, one Knicks PR director, a ten-car pile-up cute Cleveland Cavaliers cheerleader, and one of the greatest centers in the history of the NBA. Continue. <laughs> So we kind of like thought, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, Mike was like a nice looking guy, but he was not like the type that would normally, you know, like be dating cheerleaders. All right. I mean, is that fair, Mike? Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I, I was not Brad Pitt. I was not Brad Pitt. I was, you know, somewhere between <laughs> Brad Pitt and John Candy at that point. Uh, uh, right. Right. Yeah. So we were, we were, you know, so we thought, I don't know how we picked this one. I think she was standing there. They were all quite attractive. And I think both of us went over and talked to her and said, we want to play an April Fool's joke on this guy. And we told him what she was. Can you, you know, just go up to him. You know, he works for the New York Times. Tell him that you read his stuff, you know. And Every day. Like, <laughs> and this was kind of complicated back then because it was the beginning of the Internet, Right. But right, there was there was no way to look. There was no way to cyber stalk her and see like on her a Facebook page <laughs> that that showed me that she read the New York Times or that you know she had any lefty commie views or, or you know anything like that. You you couldn't go on in, her Instagram to see if she had a boyfriend. You couldn't go on to uh, Twitter. You could not cyber stalk anybody. You just had to take their word for it. And I'm going to be honest with you, even though I knew it was April Fools. If this this the, the Cleveland Cavaliers cheerleaders do this routine, and it was like you know a very sultry, I would say sexy routine, and they stop, and then one of them runs up to you as you're watching them, and she's stunning, a blonde, tall blonde woman, and and she said, "Are you Mike Wise from the New York Times?" And I'm on, I'm at courtside, you know, in between a timeout at an NBA game, and I said, "Yeah," and she goes, "I can't even remember what she said her name was, but um." I read your stuff every day and I just want to say, I'm really glad to meet you. And she was so convinced and I'm like going, okay, there's somebody's. And I looked at Frank Isola and Frank looks at me and goes, I don't believe that just happened. I mean, he was very convinced. <laughs> and I go, I go, I don't either. I go, do you think yeah, that's gotta be an April for someone's putting somebody up to this. Did you do this? No. And she goes, dude, if I'm you, I like, look, I would talk to her after the game. And I'm like, you think so? I, like maybe say like I can meet her out or something after the game. And, you know, like I would, if I were, you know, like, 
And I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And, you know, go ahead, uh, tell people the rest of the story because it's, uh, it's, okay. it's just awful. <laughs> so, first of all, I, now that you say that, I do remember being stunned because I was sitting right by you that she came up and was so convincing. All right. And yes. second of all, I, and so gameplay, second of all, I remember being so stunned because Mike's, this is Mike's big pickup line. Hi, I'm Mike Weiss from the New York Times. <laughs> no, they, they, they used to say, Bruce, I know you're a li- <laughs> Bruce, my producer is listening out there, but actually, you know what it used to be? They said my pickup line was, um, hi, I'm Mike Times from the New York Wise. And, um, and I, I thought that was awful, and but it was partly true. I, uh, I, uh, I was pretty much trying to show my credibility that le- I was not the best looking guy, but at least I had a decent job. Your lines haven't gotten any better, by the way. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Listen, you got to play the hand you're dealt, Mike, right? right? (laughs) So, so anyway, she was so great. But then the greatest part is, I think, I think this is at the beginning of the either the beginning of the third quarter or maybe Mm -hmm. halftime or something like that. There was a whole half of the game to go. All right. Yeah. And and the great part is the entire time Mike kept asking Frank, should I doctor? Should I do this? I thought I I was going to die. I could barely die. I'm like a a 13 year old kid, you know, with a crush. So then what happens, Mike, when the game's over and when the game's over, we're waiting to get into the locker room. Mike doesn't even wait for what, because, you know, maybe the cheerleaders might take off, right? I think Frank is like telling you this, the cheerleaders might take off. Don't waste any time. I can't remember. But what happens? The game ends. You file your story. And what happens? And then I, 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 I see all the cheerleaders in the hallway and I see her and I just look at her like she's going to look <laughs> at me like with dreamy eyes. As if, you know, like, 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 it was like, it was like one of those movies where guys love movies, uh, like whatever, this outbreak movie recently people are watching because Dustin Hoffman is like married to Rene Russo. In real life, there's no way Rene Russo goes for Dustin Hoffman, but this is what was happening. And I was like, wow, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers cheerleader really is into me. So I went up to her and I go, hi, uh, um, I just want to see if you were, you know. And she all, and I don't even think she said anything. She almost looked at me like, "Are you kidding? They didn't tell you yet." Like, like I was like, <laughs> I, I, I like, and I, I, she just—I mean, it was such a brush off. Like to this day, I want to get—I want to find out who she was, just to say that she was really convincing in the moment. And then she just, she was part of the gut punch humiliation. So then I realized something's going on because she is not into me at all. She's not even talking to me after this. Like, like I think her friends are almost laughing like, oh, my God, he's coming to talk to you. No, he really went for this. And then I'm almost, you know, behind schedule. And I walk into like the Knicks locker room where, you know, they just won a big game against Cavaliers. They were on their way to a 57 and 25 season. And um, and 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 go ahead, pick up the story because here's where it gets here's here's where the ending comes in, and it's just brutal. So so so, um, back then Patrick Ewing would always be the first person who talked. All right, and you know, there were like seven, eight reporters gathered around Patrick, and uh, you know Mike gets in there, and Patrick looks up, looks straight at Mike. Mike, you might remember this more than I do. It says, April, Barbie, hold on. My, my Barbie, hold on one sec. My five-year-old is in here. Elliot, say hello and and walk out. Okay. Hello. Hi, Elliot. Okay, that's, okay. Okay. Bye, buddy. I'll see you. I'll see you in about five minutes. All right. Okay. I love you. All right. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean you probably remember it better than I do. I just remember <laughs> you coming up, and I don't even. I didn't even know. I don't think I knew. I can't remember if we knew if Lori had recruited Patrick or not to tell you. I think I did. I think we did. Yeah, yeah I think I did know that. But, I mean, it, Patrick just did it so well. And Patrick just looked up and said, Mike, April Fool's. Is that how he did it or how did he do it, Mike? How do you remember? Oh, uh, no. Yeah. It, it, the, everybody was around the circle, yeah. you know, and trying yeah. to – and Ewing is the first person to talk. And it's so – you know, and he's he's ready to talk to everybody. And I go – and I look at Patrick, and he looks up. And before anybody could even ask him a question, he just looked up and looked at me in front of all the beat writers and said, April Fools. <laughs> I mean, Patrick Ewing uh, is, is in on it too. And it was just humiliating. And everybody, oh God, they just fell out laughing because everybody was told about the joke <laughs> and that I was convinced that this girl liked me. And it was, it was, yeah, it was humiliating. It was awful. 
and I'll never forget it. And thank you for doing it because 20 years later or whatever it is, 23 you years know, later, I can look back and laugh about it. It was kind of mean. I admit it was kind of mean. No, right. it, was, yeah. it, was, it was me. Like I had so much hubris then. I, I thought, you know, uh, it didn't matter what I did. I, I thought I was, I was, I was God's gift to somebody, and really, I wasn't even God's <laughs> gift to myself. And I didn't find these things out till later. But it was a good comeuppance moment for me. It was like one of those moments where, I, oh, okay, oh, oh, maybe I'm, well, maybe I'm not Mr. Cool Sports Writer Guy anymore. Um, well, so, Mike, we wouldn't have done it. We wouldn't have done it if we didn't like it. You got to get Lori on it. It, it. it was our greatest. I, I think it was our greatest oh, piece of teamwork ever. Yeah, it was. You know? and, so I, and I bring this up too because Bruce, I know you're not a huge Twitter guy, but I told this story on Twitter last year in one tweet, and I basically, I all I said was true story. Cavs cheerleader came up to me during '96 Knicks game. It was actually '97. Said, "Are you Mike Wise from the NY Times?" Oh my God, I read. I read everything you write. I went to talk to her after game and she blew me off. I walked into the locker room. Patrick Ewing looked up and smiled. April Fools. This thing, believe it or not, has taken on a life of its own as a tweet. It has 74.5 thousand likes, 8.4 thousand um, retweets, and 258 responses. It's clearly better than anything. It's clearly resonated with so many people who just love the schadenfreude of me, cocky guy. Uh, getting um, getting my lunch handed to me on April Fool's. But you know what? I think there's also also it like I for some reason really like I got trolled for it. I, one person called me a man hater. How was I man hater for that? You know what uh, I mean? I mean yeah, was... <laughs> yeah, you, know, you had to know me too. You're right. I was a different. You know, I, like there was this there was this cool part of me where I would dress up as Elmo for Barbara's uh, three year old uh... birthday party. And then, but the, there's the part of me where I'm also hitting on the nannies at the same time. I'm like playing. Yeah. <laughs> Mike was Mike was a wonderful coworker. He was. He he dressed yeah. up as Elmo at, at my kid's birthday party, and that that you know my kids. Well, it was, was kind of scary because it was a six foot four Elmo costume, <laughs> and literally like <laughs> like you know total New York. It's all nannies. None of the parents even show up to the party. It's a, during a weekday. And they're all yeah, like, yeah, the you know, Mike, you know, some women work, you know, some women oh, have I, mean, look, and have hey, look, I got one too. I'm not talking about it, but, but the bottom line is, Barbie, like, you know, these kids, these, all these nannies, I mean, the kids, like, it wasn't their 18 inch Elmo in their screen. It was like Elmo, like the monster Elmo. And it was like all these pictures at her kid's birthday party are like faces of death of three year olds, <laughs> like scared, scared by Elmo. So at any rate, um, well, anyway, you were the best. Right. You were the best. All Before right. I let you go, I, I, um, I really, how are, how's everything going on in New York? It's a hot spot, obviously. Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, like it's something that, yeah, it's, I mean, and everybody's, and you're, everybody's working from home and it's, it's frankly, like, it's one of those odd moments. Like there was this movie called the Omega man in the seventies or, shoot vanilla sky that moment where tom cruise is running through new new york and it's vacant i, I cannot believe the streets of manhattan are empty it's just insane yeah, yeah. i mean it, it's i mean i'm not in manhattan i am i'm north of it but it i mean yeah. it's significantly north uh it is it is just creepy you know as we all know you know it's self-quarantine well not quarantining but yeah. staying in you know what's it sheltering in place whatever it is you know it's it, I will say, I see all these cute videos of you and your kids, and I'm thinking like, oh man, you are so lucky you don't have teenagers. <laughs> yeah, I get, that would be yeah. a tough one because they've, these, these kids yeah. are stir crazy. I mean, my five-year-old's you know, uh, pillaging through my office right now and won't leave because <laughs> I love him so much and I refuse to let him go with a sad face out the door. But, yeah. but I can't imagine having a stir crazy teen. And I know you've got one. I know you've got one. You got one in college and, and one at home. Yeah, the one in college, we can't decide what to do. I mean, we let her stay up there because she's in a house. And yeah. It's in Vermont, and we were going to have her come back down. But we've decided there's like five cases up there. So what do you do? I mean, I go oh, back and forth every sense. day. Yeah, that makes more yeah. sense. Shelter in place yeah. there. You know, the worst thing that you can yeah. get infected by is something Bernie has got, and that's it. <laughs> well, that's exactly where she is. She's uh, right okay. in Bernie land. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Sheltering place is a lot more fun with your friends and your boyfriend, too, oh, let me tell you, than probably your parents. But, you know, exactly. anyway. <laughs> but, so, well, uh, well, stay safe. 
Um, anybody, right. anybody All right, who, Mike, you're, go ahead. you're a great sport. You're, you're, you're a great sport. You're a great dad. And you know, it's like, you know, everybody out there, you know, be safe, man. All right. Uh, that's, that's really nice of you to say Barbie, uh, Barbara Barker. Thank you for being part of us. You can see her. Let's, I want to give your Twitter out, uh, uh, Barb. Is it mean Barb at mean Barb? Yeah, it's at mean Barb, which I guess goes along with this joke. Although I'm really not mean. <laughs> And uh, do I get like a two hundred dollar tower uh, gift certificate or something? Oh, no, we forgot to say. I got her back. No, no. I got her back a year later. It wasn't as great as that, but I had these guys from El Paso that I used to go on the radio with all the time. And I don't know why. I just you know, they, I didn't. They never paid me or anything. Maybe they gave me a Tower Records gift certificate once when Tower Records was around. And I so so I basically got them to um, tell Barbara that they're going to give her this two hundred dollar. The gift certificate it's not that she went on. It's not why I went on. You begged okay. me. Oh, they're my friends. They're my friends. They're yeah, yeah, they're my friends. Go they're them. my friends. And then, like, yeah. and they put me on the other line while she was being interviewed, so they didn't even. She didn't know I was on the other line, and they basically asked her questions like, "Barb, we know you go into the locker room to see guys, and like, you're guy, you're, you're like, this is totally inappropriate, guys. Like, that's so old school, <laughs> like sexist guy talk. What are you doing?" And like, oh, come on, Barb, you know, you've seen it, you know, like, and she really like, she's about to hang up. And finally, I my, finally, I get on the other line, I go, Barb, April Fool's. And she just goes, Mike! and then there's this long pause. And you go, it's great. You go, do I still get the Tower Records gift certificate? <laughs> Which was the best I, line of all. I, <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. I swear I did not ask that. I don't take free stuff, all right? Oh. But I, 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 I might have just. Been we, we, had, right? we had so much fun in those days. We went skiing together and everything. Yeah, we did have a good time. Not as much fun as they have in the Nick Speed nowadays, though. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, it's just a party. <laughs> just a party. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. All right, Barbie. All right. Uh, tell, say hi to Dennis, your, your spouse, everybody. And uh, we love yeah. you and be safe your family too take care mikey all right let's go time to stick the landing thanks to barbie also known as barbara barker of newsday for her memories of eviscerating me in such a public way it's clear why her twitter handle at mean barb is so appropriate thanks also to jamal crawford the legendary jay crossover for his uplifting work in the seattle area helping his fellow citizens at this difficult time and also for simply being a hall of fame human being Thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, and our editor, Ben Wolfen. I think I just followed him on Facebook. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. We have five new podcasts every week. Also, please say a prayer for our brave healthcare workers. They truly are our superheroes. Continue to practice distancing physically from others. Treat everyone, even strangers like family. And please, wash your hands. Till next time, I'm Mike Wise. Peace. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.